listening to episode 168 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we wrap up our look at season one of TNT's The Librarians. How you doing on our last day of uh, a little nice three-day weekend? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I haven't really done anything, but I was able to get the, the lawn cut and uh, folded laundry. So, Yeah, I mean, I was worried. Uh, obviously, there's a hurricane that's battering to say the east coast is probably not fair maybe the east coast shoreline i I thought it was going to hit us yeah i thought it was going to hit us i got out there to cut my lawn thursday and then of course nothing nope not a dry it's been gorgeous so man this is like if it could be like this all year then i guess we probably wouldn't be in maryland anymore but still it'd be nice it has been nice. So, all right. Well, speaking of nice, tonight we're here to discuss The Librarian's season one finale, episode 10, titled The Librarians in the Loom of Fate. But before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you, as always, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Also record your own audio clip, send us the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. Uh, obviously, we're going to take a look at Michael Crichton's Westworld in October, but before we go any further, we did get a little bit of listener feedback via Twitter this week. Uh, Lisa King says, another great podcast. Listening helps me see the episodes from a different lens. It's exciting to see the many facets. And I know, Wayne, you'd agree with me that it really has helped us see the different facets from all the posts on the Facebook group, especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm loving the Facebook group. It's been great. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that really are deeply into the librarians. I mean, we we love it. We're deeply into it, but clearly not as much as as some of the listeners. Right. Especially, I mean, the Kaniacs obviously are the, uh, you know, the, the probably the most passionate group, I think, or subgroup of of librarians fans. And, uh, yeah, the more you hear about Christian Kane, the more you like think this guy's pretty awesome dude. <laughs> oh, no question. I did watch the trailer for his cooking show. Yeah, I did I, too. But then I realized you have to pay for his actual episode, so I haven't re- been ready to make that plunge yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do like to cook, so who knows? And they're only yeah, well, it's funny because as you, you know, I'm still you know watching Leverage, and uh, I had just watched an episode where basically he poses as a chef. Uh, for like a cooking class and everything and uh you know he's actually you can tell he like he's just cutting up stuff and everything it's just man it's almost like like i I, the last two nights i went and made really good dinners just being somewhat inspired by that well nice and then i saw your post about the leverage marathon and i turned it on i walked out of the room and i came back and it was off my wife had switched it to sign no i let it come on but i did post in the facebook group this interview i found with john kim which is really cool it's i mean he talks a lot about gaming i guess he's a big gamer and it's really interesting i mean it just the way he comes across he's so real so down to earth and and again i i understand they're actors but he's not acting here so if you're a John Kim fan, it's really worth checking out, even if for 10 minutes or so. Well, I think, you know, I guess, well, no, I guess I know that, you know, a big part of the appeal of the librarians is those, the three main characters of the librarians and how relatable they are. And again, as you said, yeah, they're actors, but they really do 
it's almost like you can't necessarily fake genuineness. You know, like if I watch like Leonardo DiCaprio work, okay, I admire him. He's a great actor, but I don't feel like he's down to earth or, you know, like accessible or anything like that. But then, you, you know, you watch these three actors perform and you're like, you know, like the characters, they seem like people, they don't, they don't seem like some remote characters. I think part of that probably is because uh, the people themselves, the actors themselves are, are pretty down to earth people. That's just maybe. I was reading an interview with John Rogers and he was talking about Christian Kane and how they're trying to get more of Christian Kane's real life experiences into the show. And, and, and again, just like what you're saying, he's so natural as his character and just seems so down to earth that I don't know. I just think it makes for a better show. And sure. like, like you said, Leonardo DiCaprio is a great actor, but again, He's not somebody I'd want to sit down and have lunch with. Right. All right. Now, Taltos also checked in with us via Twitter, and she says, I question your assertion that Sunday is the busiest night, though that depends on your definition of genre. All right, Taltos, I guess we will have to quibble on our definitions of genre. So <laughs> so let's take a look, because she also posted a link, and, and she's got, for Monday, Gotham, Lucifer, Supergirl, Timeless, okay. Travelers, which is apparently a, a sci-fi show that's going to air in Canada. I don't know if it's going to air here. A show called The Good Place with Kristen Bell, who I love, by the way. Yeah. It's a comedy, which already I start to question whether I'm going to consider it. Oh, but, okay. I know. I've never but, seen this one. But it does deal with her dying and, you know, with the afterlife and coming back. So it certainly has genre quality. So I'll, I'll genre ish. Yes. And then the big bang theory, which I cannot know. I like the big <laughs> bang theory. It's not genre, at least in my world. Right. All right. All right. Tuesday aftermath. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Channel Zero, Candle Cove, which is a new show, The Flash, From Dusk Till Dawn, Scream Queens, Sweet slash Vicious, which, again, everything I've read about it, I just can't go with that as a genre show. (laughs) Wednesdays, American Horror Story, Arrow, Frequency, Incorporated, Stand Against Evil. Okay. Thursday, Falling Water, Legends of Tomorrow, Supernatural, Red Dwarf, okay. Fridays, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, no. What? The Exorcist, Vampire Diaries, Van Helsing, Wolf Creek, Z Nation. All right, so let's take a look at Sunday. Ash versus the Evil Dead, Last Man on Earth, mm-hmm. The Librarians, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time, Yep. Son of Zorn, Yes. Walking Dead. You got it. Okay. The then straight- don't start throwing in there at Game of Thrones in a couple months. Well, I, I think we're bo- both going with shows that are going to air this fall. Right. The Strain and Westworld. So by my count, Sunday wins. At All least right. eight to so six. You had, you had some disqualifications that maybe people would argue with. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so. but you know what? Even with the disqualifications, I think Sunday still wins. How does my crazy ex-girlfriend get on that list? I don't know. But you know what? I mean, the reality is we all win because- uh, look, we're arguing that, okay, Sunday has eight shows versus Monday that has seven versus, I mean, my gosh, there's so much great stuff out there. Yeah, the fact that there are these many shows and not like, you know, Survivor and, or Big Brother and stuff, you know. Exactly. And 
it, it also mm-hmm. enabled us to do what we wanted to do anyway, which is run through the shows that are upcoming in the fall. And, you know, oh, that was clever how you did that. Yeah. Well, that was really Taltos that initiated it. That was her, clever how Taltos did that. <laughs> I know. So, all right. Well, let's get on to the librarians. Season finale, episode 10 of season one, The Librarians and the Loom of Fate. This one was written by show creator John Rogers, who also wrote Crown of King Arthur, Sword in the Stone. He also co-wrote Santa's Midnight Run and the City of Light. And, and then, isn't he like the showrunner too? He is. Oh, okay. And then this one's directed by Jonathan Frakes, who directed Fables yes! of Doom and Santa's Midnight Run. And this one aired January 18th, 2015. This one cannot be put in any kind of other order. This one has to be the last one. It it does. And as a season finale, it just has everything as far as I'm concerned. I like cliffhangers as much as the next person. I mean, a season ender, a season ending cliffhanger gives fans so much to talk about in the off season. Now, now granted, if, if I was a walking dead fan, I might have a little problem with the way they ended. Was it season six? Is that what they're on? Uh, I actually don't know. But yeah, it sucked. It was and, ridiculous. And then, as we said, I think a few months ago, the showrunner came on and kind of apologized and you know did his little apology tour. And uh, come on, stop. <laughs> but they didn't do that here. I loved what they did. And, and, you know, we'll get to that in a second. But my first thoughts about this episode I love the alternate timeline multiverse approach. Always love alternate timelines. Always. Yeah. Though I think it's fair to place the librarians in the fantasy category. I mean, the writers are certainly bringing up enough speculative science that, you know, you can reasonably call the librarians a science fiction show. Uh, Yeah, and, I'd, I'd agree with that. And time travel multiverse theories like we said, I always love it, and I would just wish Charlie Jade had ended up capturing my interest a little bit more because I stopped after five episodes. And, you know, the librarians has been teasing us with little tidbits here uh, of these kinds of, you know, we said last time, a pocket universe, and, and you know, Eve gets trapped in that little space between times. So, wow, I'm just really looking forward to where they're going to go with this. Well, you, you know where they're going to go with this because we I, saw season two. I, of course, but as I say every week. <laughs> yeah, I remember, yeah. I saw it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. And I haven't watched it yet. All right. Now, Eve encounters Flynn and Stone after the looms tearing, and both appear as alternate realities of themselves, which is kind of our first tip-off. And again, Stone is closer to the Stone that we know, but alt-reality Flynn you know, is this non-adventurous, never going into the field kind of guy. And then, of course, we see Jones, who's, is it fair to say, total opposite? Um, I mean, he's wearing that yeah, lab coat, dude. Right. He's got like this, well, he have a, a streak of gray hair, too. And I, But yeah, he, he was, you know, serious, right? And, and uh, not that Ezekiel is never serious, but he's just, that's not really how, what we kind of assumed from him um but this uh alternate jones was you know much more like focused and well of course he did have an apocalypse he was dealing with so you know probably i think if uh if the actual jones were faced with a similar situation that he probably would turn out the same way 
I thought you were going to say the word. What he was faced with. A zombie apocalypse? There you go. (laughs) Now, you mentioned the gray streak in his hair. What's up with that? Is that a a fashion statement or is the stress of his job supposedly aging him prematurely? I I would say probably a little of both, but probably like as far as the story goes, that second thing you said, I I would imagine that they're just trying to show, again, they're trying to show how he's so different than the other guy. And here he's so worried that his hair is starting to turn gray, right? Which yeah. is, we wouldn't necessarily expect that from our Ezekiel. Yeah, and then the one that fascinates me the most is Cassandra, who on a number of levels really does seem like herself, but just much sadder. She's a Jedi now, man. Well, I understand that, but th- there seems to be this this weight on her shoulders, and you know maybe it's the burden of leadership, that she's the librarian, and, and it may be something she never really wanted is it guilt over using magic to cure her tumor if we had more time with this character probably we could delve into that but i think it's a lot almost everything that what you just said i think all of those things compound to make again um she's the much more dire situation in her world and so i think all of these characters are not necessarily different than the characters in the actual world but they're just when faced with these circumstances, this is what would happen to these characters. Right. And the interesting thing is we see Flynn. <laughs> I, I don't know that there's any element of Flynn that we see, you know, for at least the Flynn we know. Well, yeah. But if you go back to the first movie, that's Flynn, pre-librarian Flynn. Well, that's true. That's You're a, right. That's exactly what he was like. It's, it was so funny to see him back in that mode, you know, because we're so used to seeing Flynn, the swashbuckling adventurer. Uh, You know, if you've seen the movie, you forget about Flynn, the the nerdy academic who gets thrown into this job and doesn't know what he's doing. Right. He he does point out that he does have 22 PhDs, which is apparently a record. Right. Well, again, you know, that's like he makes such a big deal of it in that in that first movie. Um, that was a nice, again, throwback joke there that they uh, really like that. Now, in each of the timelines, Eve dies trying to stop Duloc from stealing the library. And, and I'm wondering, is that simply an after effect of the Santa episode? Or does it signify something much deeper? I mean, why is she, I mean, I know we get the explanation that in the Santa episode when she splintered so that she could be everywhere at the same time, and that's how she can, you know, move across all the different timelines as well. But then, you know, the dying in each timeline, uh, look, I understand it's highly unlikely that they're going to kill off Rebecca Romaine's character. Yeah, that would not be a great move. Right. And you can only kill her so many times and bring her back with magic before it just becomes ridiculous. Well, you know, they do it on Supernatural all the time. So why not? Yeah. And what season am I on? Oh, never mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I don't think they, they kill her for any kind of shock value or anything. I think it is, as you said, uh, something deeper, the, the sacrifice that she you know, will offer herself up um, to save her friends, to save the world, to, you know, it's all oh. kind of part of what she is and what she does. Oh, and what a what a nice twist with the uh, guardian role related to Cassandra. We'll, we'll get to right. that. 
now speaking of Cassandra, she tells Flynn just to to then piggyback on what you just said. She will die for you. Never forget that. And that line still gives me goosebumps. And at this point, he barely knows Eve and and how profound and I guess somewhat foreboding because, you know, as we said, you know, there's only so many times she can die and and be brought back. But again, as you said, she's certainly willing to in every timeline. Yeah. And she literally, I mean, throws herself in front of the loom as Dulac goes to stab it again, right? Yeah. And and I just hope it's not a throwaway line because it, it, it is so uh, compelling and meaningful. Now, I mean, look, of course, I don't want Eve to die, and, and it's unlikely, as I said, but still. All right. Speaking of Eve, I loved the opening shot of this episode. Right. That, that extreme close-up, looking very peaceful and serene, and then the camera zooms out, and we see her bloody hand. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're just kind of at first hoping that maybe she just kind of like, you know, really did a bad job painting her nails. But, uh, you know, we probably assume that that's actually blood. Well, I did think that as well. And I know you've mentioned about the CGI shortcomings on this show, which, you know, we're fine with. Look, if that's the show's biggest problem, we're in good shape. Exactly. But yeah, that looked more like she spilled her fingernail polish all over her hand (laughs) than blood. I thought the same exact thing. But we've got the cold open, teams fighting off bad guys while Cassandra's trying to figure out a code to open something in an ancient tomb. And boom, we're right back. Typical librarians, cold open. Suddenly, the bad guys turn to dust, and Flynn appears telling them he's found a way to bring back the library. And I'm sure you, as well as everybody else, noticed a little bit of sparkage between Eve and Flynn there. Yeah, well, there's been sparkage since the first episode. Well, there has, but obviously he's been absent, so we haven't gotten to see it there. Sure. All right, so they're looking to open the door to interdimensional space. All right. You got me. And as we said, the whole alternate timeline, we don't know that's going to happen at this point. But he brings up the term the void, which, you know, I I certainly studied this in college. You probably did as well. Also known as chaos, the first thing to exist. So I don't know, is everything else built off of this, apparently? Right. But the other thing that's cool that, that we learn early on is that apparently all the items that they've collected along the way, the Tesla device, the uh, the string, uh, the ball of string, I forget what it's. Uh, the, oh, that, the, from the Minotaur. Right? Oh, right, the Minotaur from the Labyrinth. And then the, that uh, they were the app, necessi- right. the, the, the spell app from. Oh, oh right, right. The the, all of these were necessary to now produce the necessary power to open this doorway to interdimensional space. And as Eve tells the story of what they're trying to do, because I think Flynn, he just starts barking out numbers or something, right? Yeah. And then she realizes, no, 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 you, you got to tell a story. Right. Suddenly. Right. 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 Well, cause, we, yeah. Cause Flynn doesn't, does, he, you know, he doesn't quite think like that, you know, which seems odd, but, not like he doesn't have experience with the clippings book, but either but way, does he? I don't think he has any experience with the book, right? Oh, is that just for the? No, he must. I don't. Um, I'm not so sure because that's they threw that little plot device in for for this show. It's 
okay, I, I shouldn't say that he doesn't have any experience, but because he probably, being a librarian, I'm sure, would have known what that was. But like they didn't, that wasn't a thing in the movies. Okay. Oh, well, that's true. But what I liked here is that that Eve takes over. And again, I mean, we know she's the guardian. We know that's her primary function, but she is part of the team. She does offer suggestions along the way to solve whatever puzzle, whatever problem they're engaged in. Right. Oh, well, plus that's not the clipping book that they're talking to. That's that's the, the book from uh, when uh, the, oh, you're right. the little girl who was sick. Oh, exactly. With there the, you go. The storybook. Yeah, the storybook, right. Right. So smoke suddenly emanates from a sarcophagus filling the room. Duloc and Lamia enter. And he tells them essentially, you got to love, I mean, what a great bad guy. You've done all the hard work for me. You've done all the heavy lifting. Now I'm going to take over. <laughs> and then yeah. he says, you know, library, that's small stuff. What I want will end this world as we know it. What'd you think about his blood sacrifice? You know, I, I've seen this episode before, but I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot that he killed her. It's like, dude, like, really? And then her reaction that I loved you. Now, yeah. loved him like a father, loved him I like a lover. We That's don't know. Creepy. It, it, well, I don't think it matters that, that she really was connected to him. But apparently, as he says... The blood sacrifice had to be a sacrifice that, that if you kill somebody you don't like, it's not a sacrifice. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the way I um, interpreted it. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I agree. That's harsh though. I mean, so she the li- was like, she was a really good, you know, baddie. Yeah. Well, the librarians have opened this door to the loom of fate. Duloc goes through, followed by Eve and Flynn. And again, we always talk about the pairings, and this episode was certainly no different. But obviously, we haven't seen Flynn for a while, and it's nice to see him working with Eve at this point. Right. And it's funny because, well, you know, when you throw Flynn in there, all of a sudden now it's five, and it's hard to have pairings, which we we don't, right? Uh, right. Eve is kind of on her own and it, well, but I guess she is you know paired up with uh Flynn throughout most of it either the one Flynn or the other. But um you know whereas we get this neat little two of them go one way and two go the other. That's kind of disrupted here by Flynn, which you think about that works at a number of levels cuz Flynn is by nature disruptive. Uh but also the the whole you know, the world has been thrown out of sync here. And so that nice mathematical two and two is no longer a thing. And, uh, and, and the world is also kind of in chaos as well. I think Shakespeare would appreciate that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I love the, the image of the river of time connected to the loom of fate. Duloc comes in and cuts the fabric on the loom because he wants to restart time at the point when Camelot fell. Right, which was his fault. <laughs> well, I understand that, but I guess he sees it as his point of greatest power. Right. Suddenly, even Flynn are transported to another place and time where he doesn't know her or that he's a librarian and they're immediately captured as spies until Stone shows up to rescue them. Right. So I'm just going to put this out here really quickly. If for some reason you find yourself looming together the fate of all humanity and all reality use like a 
you know, really strong thread that can't be so easily cut. You know? Good point. All right. <laughs> just, now, just putting that out there. All right. Well, in this alternate world, you know, once Stone rescues them, he recognizes Eve, kisses her, kind of implying that they're a couple, which she does not find acceptable. Nope, 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 nope. And, <laughs> she goes walking off saying that. That's hilarious. Now, he's the librarian. All right, okay. I get that she doesn't see Stone in that way, but why the over-the-top reaction? I mean, Christian Kane's a fairly attractive guy. I mean, he's okay. Yeah. Um, I get that, that actually that is a natural question. You know, I thought that as well. And I think, well, I think, it's because she sees Stone as like a, you know, like in a like, younger brother, maybe. Yeah, like a younger brother, or I don't want to say son because you know she's obviously not old enough, but but you know, very maternal or sisterly kind of attitude towards him, you know. So when yeah. he kisses her, you know, passionately, that's you know that's not and plus she just totally was not expecting it you know right and this is the point at which the pieces are starting to be put together right so we get the backstory filled in stone became the librarian 10 years prior when the previous librarian faked his death but that can't be flynn who says he was off no no it was uh, dylan mcdermott okay from the first movie okay or the third third the third movie. right Right, and then Flynn mentions that he was offered a job once at the Metropolitan Library, but never showed up, which obviously works its its way into the uh, the fabric of the story as well. Obviously, right, which is it's funny because that's like the opposite of of the the real world, right? In the real yes. world, uh, Flynn got the job, and Jacob never showed up to the interview. Right now, Stone tells her that she was his guardian, but died protecting him. And in this reality, magic runs wild thanks to the Serpent Brotherhood being in control to a certain extent. And then it almost sounds like what Stone's saying is that he has no hope of controlling things. He's just trying to minimize the damage. Yeah, he's, he's playing whack-a-mole. Yes. Teleportation stones, gotta love it. Yeah. That's sweet. And we get more science because he figures out that it's the harmonic resonance that's going to activate them. Well, which science might be a strong word, but yeah. Science. Well, come on. Well, harmonic resonance. I mean, okay. come on. All right. You know what a, you know what a tuning fork is, right? Sure. Yes, I know what a tuning fork is, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember right, back but, but in the-, the harmonic resonance is to create a, uh, a a teleportation device to a different universe, not not a thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, he's going to activate them. He thinks to send Eve and Flynn back to their correct timelines, but of course that's that's not what happens, which right. is fortunate for us the viewers. So they find themselves in a timeline in which Jones is the librarian, replete with the gray streak in his hair as we mentioned, and he posits that Eve and Flynn are moving sideways through different timelines. Right. And in a callback to the house that grants wishes, his world is now overrun with ghosts, which I think we can reasonably say are also zombies. Yeah. But they're like, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely supposed to be kind of like zombies. Yeah, they call them ghosts, but they're they're clearly uh, behaving in a traditional zombie manner. Well, and I think one of the questions that, that came up for me 
after Jones told them to sod off deadites is that were they dead and brought back? This is, this is the part that I was, my brain was just saying, all right, I'm just going to, we're just going to kind of go along for the ride here. Okay. <laughs> you know, cause like the, the explanation, first of all, this episode is so fast paced. Like everything is just having boom, 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 boom. Right. And so the explanations as to why things are happening are coming so quickly. Like you just either spend the whole time rewinding to try and figure out or just say, okay, I, I get it. There's bad things are happening. Let's go. Okay. But Jones has this scientific team working for him, which is a nice twist. And I'm wondering, does that support my theory that Jones, the thief, once worked with a team? But right. why, why has he assembled a team? Now, because has they're t- the only people left alive. Well, have they brought the dead back to life? Is it his team that that did that? Because won't that have unintended consequences if you have all the dead walking the earth? I mean, that's a good idea for a show. Let's yeah, write that down. Yeah, the and dead walking around. Yeah, walking, okay. walking around, and then maybe like you know, when you're deep into the series, you could just have a ridiculous ending to. Uh, one of the seasons where someone gets hit with a baseball bat, but no one knows who it is. And so everyone will spend the next couple of months, uh, you know, desperately trying to figure out who got killed. Nice. But that'd be just, that'd be, it'd be so silly to do something like that. It just, it would never go. Yeah. It would never work. Now, ironically, Eve figures out that Duloc's cutting the loom of fate is what disrupted their realities. And it's kind of our first comment on the multiverse theory that, had the loom of fate not been disrupted, would only one timeline exist? Obviously, the multiverse theory says that there are multiple timelines, an infinite number, in fact, and that you know cutting one wouldn't necessarily disrupt the others, I wouldn't think, although somebody that's more steeped in it than I am maybe would tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, well, from what I understand, the multiverse theory is that, that there, for every decision or action we make, there's, you know, infinite numbers of other possibilities that could have occurred and therefore then that's where the those other universes exist which yeah i don't know i mean when i say it like that it sounds silly <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I i definitely like the idea of, of uh, multiple universes though and what do you always tell me suspension of disbelief yes yes which i, I that's, uh, with the librarians that i'd suspend that disbelief it's not till later when we really start talking about that. Right. Z- zombies? No, but yeah, yeah, librarians. All right. Now, we've had a lot of twists and turns. The next may be my favorite. Flynn and Eve find themselves in another timeline in which dragons still exist and Lamia is still alive. Yes. Interestingly, she's surprised to see Eve since she saw her die. Sure. Just but, as e- but Eve is kind of like used to that by now. Well, and Eve says, well, yeah, but I saw you die. Right when no, Duloc, right, right, Lamia, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, who enters the fray? Cassandra, red yeah. robe, hair, makeup. Yeah, and she's the librarian. Yeah, yeah, Which, and, and and probably the the most. I'd say, and you can see how again, rule of three, right? Here we go. Um, Stone's character, his alternate character, has really hardly changed at all from what he is, except that you know he's on his own and in charge, but basically the same. Uh, Jones's character, again, much different, 
but still we can see especially as he's you know profiting from the zombie apocalypse uh with what's his was jones international or jones limited or something like that well right and jones, jones right, right. He, he's always been more cerebral in his approach and, and, and of course stone has been more physical right in his, in his approach exactly and so now we this cassandra is so so radically different than the one we're used to it's just a little disconcerting but Lamia recognizes that while Eve is the librarian, it's not her Eve. And that whole idea that Lamia was Cassandra's guardian, again, is fascinating as well. Yeah, because in this one, this Lamia kind of caught on to Duloc before he was able to kill her, right? So. Well, right. And the whole idea that the people apparently revere Cassandra because she saved them from the dragons. Right. But yet there's still dragons. But there yet there are still dragons. Now Cassandra re- She should probably take them and like try to reclaim her kingdom with them. That would be cool. Good point. Just don't dye her hair blonde. Right. Now Cassandra reasons that Eve is skipping from timeline to timeline, each a possible version. Once the original timeline was cut by Duloc, who as we said, wanted time to begin at the height of Camelot's power. But we find out, and and again, you you mentioned this earlier as well. Cassandra has learned how to use magic. She is yeah. a, she is a Jedi. She's a, she's a Jedi, right? A very sad Jedi, but yeah, yeah, like she's just yeah. You just see her doing all those Jedi tricks and everything. It's cool, right? According to her, to be able to control magic is certainly important, and she does admit here that she used it to cure her brain tumor, and 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 as I. I guess speculated earlier that that may be what's caused her, you know, to to be as sad as she has become. Yeah, I, well, I, as you said earlier in the podcast, I mean, it's probably a number of reasons. Um, you know, she, you know, Eve died obviously in her world as well. That you know, and then the world looks like it's a pretty rough place. Yeah, like there's just. Seems like a number of contributing factors, but yeah, certainly she does seem to experience a degree of of regret, cheering herself with Excalibur. Well, I mean, her character has gone dark, and and you just wonder, okay, if it's not those things we mention, is it something else? And obviously, time is unraveling, and she's going to evacuate, as she says, this world and take as many as she can because. Morgan Le Fay taught her how to open these doors. So there's this connection between her, the librarian, and Morgan Le Fay, mm-hmm. who I think we'd all agree rests on the evil side of the fulcrum. Sure. So, you know, again, is it like the she sold her soul for power to a certain extent? I don't know if she did it for power per se, because she doesn't seem like she's really enjoying like the power. I think she made uh you know sacrifices um in, in order to to help people you know like like not to gain power but to to save the world to to beat the dragons or whatever she did you know sure sure well flynn wonders whether they can graft the timelines that they have and cassandra reasons that it could work and she chants and dispenses something along the ground as she's performing magic bringing back the other librarians and it's like quiet i'm doing math (laughs) 
brings them all together in Eve's world where she has the labyrinth ball of twine. Now the three sacrifice themselves so that Eve and Flynn can repair the loom. And and I, I guess at this point, they truly are librarians saving the world, each in his or her own way. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you can see in this case kind of reinforced by the end of the episode that, you know, they are now have graduated, right? They're able to work independently. They, they don't need to work together to, you know, that we see this, we see that they can on their own, they can go and save the world without having to work as a team. Yeah. Yeah. Now they find themselves back at the loom of fate, find a younger Lancelot Duloc played by Jerry O'Connell. How awesome was that? Yeah, that was nice. Married to Rebecca Romaine in real life. Is he? I think so. Oh. Yeah. Nice. And he's the one that plunges the sword into Eve, leading Flynn to pick up a blade to try to fight back. And obviously this is not the Flynn that we've come to know. So he has no sword skills, yet he takes up her defense. Suddenly, Jenkins appears, takes up the fight. Lancelot recognizes him as Galahad and tells Flynn to repair the loom while he repairs the timeline and restores Flynn to his status as a librarian. But did you notice Jenkins during the duel? Uh, He's got one, one hand in his pocket. Like, you know, I'm so much better than you. Right. I can beat you with one hand tied behind my back. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's what. Lancelot says that, um, you know, like the only, when Flynn is trying to fight, he's like, you know, you're, you're no match for me. There's only one swordsman who could beat me. And then boom, there he is. Right. And uh, unfortunately what happens is that Eve comes to recognize that fact that she does die in every timeline. And you know, Finn realizes that he needs to finish the story to save Eve. And, you you know, we get that scene where Eve is dying, stones cradling her. Flynn runs through the library, which is now returned to find the elixir. But of course, the others think he's just giddy with excitement and it has forgotten that Eve is dying. Right. Yeah. And of course, and of course, that's not the right. case. Right, right, right. And, and we know that's not the case, but you know, they just, they're, they're like thrown into this, right? Like they have no idea what's going on. Sure, sure. And, and it's typical Flynn. He can't remember exactly where he left the elixir, but obviously they don't drag it out too long. At least they didn't have a clock where 10, 9, 8, 7, you know, that sort of thing. But he gets the elixir. She's died. So this brings her back. And in fact, she says, I was supposed to die. And he tells her, I don't believe in fate. Great line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we're back at the library. You know, you mentioned the, the librarians graduating, and, and we sort of even have something to mark that momentous occasion. He presents each of them with a miniature clippings book. Yeah, it's like a little Kindle. Yeah, tells them, work together on some, alone on others, ask for help, just not too much. But yeah. they all appear to dejected. And I'm not surprised when Jones says he could use a break. And I'm not really surprised that Stone says he'll visit some family. I'm not surprised, though, somewhat saddened that Cassie really doesn't have anywhere to go. Right. So she opens the book and, and, 
you know, reveals a case. But then when she says it's a tricky one, she walks away on her way to Lima, Peru. Does she know that the other two are going to come with her? It's, it's that little smile on her face. It's like, ah, I knew they were going to come. But but what a beautiful scene! Yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. And, you know, she probably has to think. And you know, you even look at at Jones and uh, and Stone that you know they're just very hesitantly saying, "Well, uh, I guess I could take some personal time." Uh, yeah, like they don't really a know what to do with themselves, and or b like really want to to do anything other than go off on adventures for the library. And so, you know, of course, when, you know, Cassie decides she's going to go on a mission, it's uh, kind of a no-brainer that they're going to go along with her. Well, right. And I don't want to question the bravery of Stone or Jones, but I I think it was very brave what she does because it's almost as if it's a test. Are we a family or are we not? You know, I, I raised the question, you know, a few weeks ago, are they librarians or are they not? Because it seemed as if Flynn wasn't ready to anoint them yet. And, and okay, fine. Now they've graduated. But, but, but she really put herself out there because, I mean, she doesn't know for sure. Right, right. You know, whether or not they were going to stay with her. Yes. Right. Right. True. But I think it, I don't think it really matters because. Oh, I, see, I, I, I was, do. But I, I mean, in, in that she was ready to go off on her own, that she's willing to go off on her own, um, that she wouldn't have done that early in the season. Right? Well, that's true. Sure. She didn't have she, the self-confidence. Exactly. She didn't have the self-confidence. And now she's just like, she does. And she's willing and able to, to go off and do things on her own. We know Jones has that self-confidence because sure. he'll go off and steal a painting on his own. That, right. Or whatever that was he had under his jacket last <laughs> week. So in the episode Debrief, Eve wants to know why she's the only one that remembers what happened across all of the timelines. And, you know, she's told that it's likely that when she was with Santa and splintered across time, that, that she's able to handle, I guess, the physics of that. And it's as if the missions the past months had been directed by fate itself. And we find out that it wasn't the clippings book that sent them to Santa. It was Jenkins. Well, we don't find that out. We knew that, but just we're reminded uh, of that. Yeah, when she's because he said, "Well, you know, like all these things have helped." And literally, they I think they had a callback to every single episode uh, from of the librarians, and I think I mean at least two of the three movies uh, they had references to. But then you know she notes that. Well, wait a second. The book didn't send me to Santa. You know, Jenkins, you did. So maybe apparently Jenkins also had a hand in it. Well, I guess what I thought, and and I know what you said is is true. I guess what I always thought, though, was that the Clippings book told Jenkins and and he just eliminated the middleman. And, you know, he told them, but that's clearly not the case. Right. Well, remember, he got a call from, from Mrs. Claus, which is what spurred them to help out Santa Claus. Oh, that's right. That's right. Speaking of asking, Flynn awkwardly asks Eve out on a date. Of course, I guess his idea of a date is going to fight evil monsters. Yeah. (laughs) They go through the door. Do you have any idea what's on the other side of that door? Not a clue. Isn't that great? (laughs) And as a season finale, 
Perfect. Nobody died. At least nobody we care about. Well, oh, well, that's harsh on Lamia. You know. True. We appreciate her. I mean, she was a baddie, but she was a good baddie. Okay. Maybe. All right. But I'll get to see her on Lucifer this season. Right. <laughs> but no, I, I, I know what you're saying. But but I wonder now, and I know you probably remember, you have a better memory than I do, whether or not season one's going to open with Flynn and Eve on their adventure, wherever uh, they ended up going through the door. Don't tell me. I no, don't I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. I just know Flynn is in it a lot more season two. Right. And I guess he'll be in season three a lot more than even season two because right. he's got time now. Yes. Tom Mason's not around. Right. Now that they've saved the world from the aliens. So, all right. Well, great episode again. Again, I, I honestly, I, I'm giving it the plus. I, uh, I gave it a. I gave it an A with a bunch of pluses after it. Yeah. So uh, I, st- I still I, like the Christmas episode more, but this was this was excellent. And as far as a season ender, is perfect because again, I'm pretty sure at this point they hadn't already been renewed for season two. So it's like. If this had been the only season of Librarians that we got, uh, that would be a pretty good ending as a series finale, too, you know? Oh, I couldn't agree more. So it was, it was well played in, in that. Because you can't have a, you know, if you have a cliffhanger that, and then you don't get season two, then that sucks, right? Yeah. A, a la Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, even Dark Angel to a certain extent. Right, right. So... All right, anything else you want to well, throw in there? Just one thing, and this is with, and I guess um, it, it, it goes back to, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the sad Cassandra in, in the uh, multiverse. You know, she says to, to E, she said, we had 10 good years that we just lost. And I'm like, oh, that was, that was just like last episode, right? When she, and Eve basically says, we just lost, you know, like sometimes you just lose. Oh, right. Right. And I was like, oh, she's just echoing that statement, you know, and she's just kind of resigned herself to, um, you know, evil winning out and everything. So I, I thought that was neat. That's pretty poignant. Yes. Nice. All right. Well, uh, season one in the books. In the books. So want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about The Librarians Season 1 or anything you guys are watching that you think we should. I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next time to discuss Librarian Season 2, Premiere and Episode 2, which air together. The Librarians and the Drowned Book and the librarians and the broken staff. But until then, goodbye, librarians. Come back alive.